chapter 6, Hasn't Science Disproved Christianity? When Moana meets the demigod Maui, he thinks she's come as a fangirl. He sings the famous song, You're Welcome, and boasts about his role in creating the world in which Moana lives. In fact, he claims to be able to explain every natural phenomenon, including the sun, the ground, the sky, the tides, even the origin of coconut trees, with stories of his own exploits. Moana is not impressed, and many of my friends are not impressed with such creation stories either. They prefer to explain natural phenomena with science. Many people today see believing in science as the opposite of believing stories about creation. Once upon a time, they think, people had to make up myths to explain how the world around them came to be. But now we have science. We don't need stories anymore. The Bible begins with the story of God creating the world, from stars to starfish. Do we still need this story? Isn't science based on not believing in a creator God? Haven't Christians always been against science? These are some of the questions we'll look at in this chapter, and you might be surprised by the answers. One God Every ancient culture had ways of explaining the natural world, usually involving gods or demigods like Maui, acting in human-like ways. In some creation stories, the world came from fights between gods. In some, humans were created to be slaves. But the creation story found in the book of Genesis at the beginning of the Bible is unique. Rather than seeing the world as a result of many gods, or even one main god versus others, the Bible claims that there is only one God who made the heavens and the earth. He created with his words, and he made humans in his own image. Most people in the world identify as either Christian, Muslim, or Jewish, and all of these three religions teach that there is only one God. But when the first book of the Bible was written, most people believed in lots of gods. The idea that there was only one creator God would have sounded as strange to them as the idea of many gods sounds to us. But the biblical claim that there is only one God who created the world and made humans in his image is the basis for many things we take for granted today, including what we now call science. Christians invented modern science. Rather than science being the opposite of belief in God, the first modern scientists invented the scientific method because they believed in the creator God of the Bible, who is totally in charge, incredibly intelligent, and completely free. Fun fact, two of the guys who helped develop the scientific method had the last name Bacon. Scientists try to figure out the laws that run the universe. First, they notice something happening in nature, and they ask, why is that happening? Next, they come up with a theory called a hypothesis to explain why that thing might be happening. Then they run that hypothesis by, or they test that hypothesis by running experiments. Scientists assume that everything in nature is caused by something else, and that the cause and effect will work the same way wherever you are in the world, because the universe follows consistent rules. Today, we are so used to this scientific process that we don't question it, but the first scientists believed there were consistent laws running the universe because they believed that there was a consistent, law-giving God. They learned from the Bible that there was only one God who created the universe in an orderly way and that he was the kind of God who didn't change his mind. So they guessed that he'd made the universe according to laws that would work the same all over the world and wouldn't change over time. 
If there were lots of gods, you might expect to find different rules in different places, a bit like different countries having different laws, and you might expect the rules to change depending on which god was in charge in that place or at that time. But if there is only one god over the whole world, who has always been in charge and will always be in charge, you would expect the laws to be the same in every place and at every time. The first scientists also knew from the Bible that God is completely free. No one tells God what to do. So the only way to find out what laws God put in place was to go and look. The guy who first explained this to me is a philosophy professor at Princeton University named Hans Halverson. Hans is one of the top experts on thinking about science in the world. He is also a Christian. Hans explains that people started doing science because they believed in the God of the Bible, and that even today, people who believe in a creator have a better reason for doing science than atheists do. You see, if you don't think there's a God who made the laws of the universe in the first place, if you believe the universe is here by accident, for no reason at all, then there's no final explanation for why science works. You just have to say, aren't we lucky that it does work? Of course, there are lots of great scientists who don't believe in God. In fact, professional scientists today are significantly less likely than non-scientists to believe in God, perhaps because so many people think that faith in God is contrary to science. But there are also many world-class scientists today who do believe in God. What's more, if we look back over the last 400 years, we'll see that Christians have played an important role in many groundbreaking scientific discoveries, including developing an amazing explanation for how the universe itself began. The Birth of the Universe Almost a century ago, a Roman Catholic priest named Georges Lamay proposed a crazy-sounding theory. Most scientists in his day believed that the universe had always existed, but Lamay's hypothesis was that it had a beginning. He suggested that the whole universe had started off as an incredibly hot, incredibly dense point, which he called a cosmic egg, and that it had expanded from there with unbelievable speed. Imagine holding an egg in your hands. And then imagine that the entire universe was packed into that egg. It sounds more crazy than a genie coming out of a lamp. But thousands of scientists have done thousands of experiments to confirm that the so-called Big Bang Theory really does seem to describe what happened. When Georges Lemay developed the idea, many scientists didn't believe it. It sounded ridiculous. It also sounded too much like what the Bible says about God creating the universe out of nothing. In fact, some atheist scientists at the time tried to prove it wasn't true because they didn't like it including a physicist named Fred Hoyle, who came up with the term Big Bang to mock LeMay's idea. If you read popular atheist authors like Richard Dawkins, you'll get the idea that science has replaced belief in God and that Christians have always fought against science. The history of the Big Bang theory tells us the opposite story. We've seen already that Christians invented modern science, and one of the first people to figure out how the universe began was a Christian. But is it mostly true that Christians have been against science? Let's do what scientists do and test that hypothesis. Galileo Atheist authors often point to Galileo as a great example of Christians rejecting science. For centuries, scientists had taught that the sun revolved around the earth, basing their understanding on the work of the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle. Galileo was one of the first people to argue that, in fact, the earth revolved around the sun. In 1633, Galileo was found guilty of heresy, believing or teaching things against the Bible, by the Catholic Church. Many people today believe that Galileo was tortured by the Church and that this is a perfect example of Christians opposing science's progress because they want to take the Bible literally. 
but there are several problems with this version of the Galileo story. First, Galileo was a Christian himself, so this is not a story of an atheist scientist being opposed by Christians. Galileo argued that the idea of the earth rotating around the sun did not go against the Bible. In fact, daring to make a theological argument was part of what got him in trouble with the Pope, the head of the Catholic Church, who had originally supported his scientific work. Second, Galileo was not imprisoned and tortured by the Catholic Church. This, that is a widely believed myth. He was confined to his house, but not sent to prison, and there is no evidence that he was tortured. Third, as Galileo himself pointed out, Christians had been reading parts of the Bible non-literally for hundreds of years before he suggested the earth went around the sun. In fact, Aristotle's model, which the church had endorsed before scientists like Galileo proposed a different method or a different model, also would not fit with a strictly literal understanding of the Bible, which talks about the earth being immovable and set on pillars. But this is not a problem with the Bible. The Psalms use metaphors all the time, and if you read Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2, you'll see her using metaphors as well. Rather than the story of Galileo being a Christians versus scientist story, therefore, it's a story about a Christian scientist arguing with other Christians about science and the Bible. And if you study the history of science, you'll find that in all the famous science versus Christianity stories, there are actually Christians on both sides of the argument. Einstein's Heroes Albert Einstein was a brilliant physicist and one of the most famous scientists of the 20th century. Einstein was not a Christian, but he kept pictures of his top three scientist heroes on the wall of the study. All of them, Isaac Newton, Michael Faraday, and James Clerk Maxwell, were passionate believers in God. Isaac Newton is one of the most influential scientists of all time. He figured out the basic laws of gravity and motion. He was not fully Christian because he didn't believe that Jesus was fully God, but he deeply believed that God had created the universe and he wrote more about God than about science. Michael Faraday is one of the greatest experimental scientists ever and is best known for his work on electromagnetism. Having something in science named after you is a big deal, and the Faraday constant, the Faraday effect, Faraday's law of induction, and Faraday's laws of electrolysis are all named after Michael Faraday. He was a passionate Christian, deeply interested in the relationship between science and faith. James Clerk Maxwell was another amazing scientist who figured out connections between electricity, magnetism, and light. He was an evangelical Presbyterian who became an elder in the Church of Scotland. By the time he was around your age, he'd already learned large portions of the Bible by heart. Einstein's heroes weren't the only believers in God who were amazing scientists. There are many other examples from history, including Robert Boyle, who was one of the founders of modern chemistry, Gregor Mendel, who studied pea plants and started the field of science now called genetics, Lord Kelvin, who was one of the first scientists to realize that the Earth is really, really, really old, and George Washington Carver, a pioneering American agricultural chemist, agronomist, and botanist, whose work radically changed the agricultural economy of the U.S., and whose achievements were all the more amazing, as his parents had been enslaved. But what about today? Can leading scientists be Christians today? Absolutely. Some leading Christian scientists today. Dr. Francis Collins is one of the most influential scientists in the world today. He led the team that first decoded human DNA, the instruction script in our cells that tells our bodies how to grow. He is now the head of the U.S. National Institutes of Health and oversaw the effort to find a vaccine for the coronavirus. Dr. Collins was not raised as a Christian, and he identified as an atheist when he was a student at Yale University. 
But after university, he became a hospital doctor, and seeing so many people suffer and die got him thinking about what life really means. He ended up becoming a Christian after one of his patients told him about her faith in Jesus and asked him, Doctor, what do you believe? Joanne Centrella is Deputy Director of Astrophysics Research at NASA. She is a world expert on black holes, some of the most mysterious things in our universe. Centrella became a Christian when she was already a top scientist. She considered different religions before deciding which one to believe. I chose to follow Christ, she says, because his words impressed me as being true in a very fundamental way. MIT professor Jing Kong grew up as an atheist in China. She became a Christian when she was a grad student at Stanford. Now she is a professor of electrical engineering. My research is only a platform for me to do God's work, she says. His creation, the way he made this world, it's amazing, really. Daniel Hastings, whom we met in Chapter 1, is a world expert in space science and a professor of aeronautics and astronautics at MIT. He became a Christian when he was a teenager in England. I start by saying there is a God who created the universe, Hastings says, and he is not an impersonal God. He has declared himself as a loving God who seeks a relationship with us. Our purpose is found in relationship with him. Russell Cowburn is a physics professor at Cambridge University. He is a world expert in nanotechnology, which means extremely tiny technology. But the more he studies really small things, the more he believes in a really big God. Understanding more of science doesn't make God smaller, he explains. It allows us to see his creative activity in more detail. Across the world today, there are thousands of Christians who are experts in all sorts of scientific fields. Like the first scientists, they don't see science as an alternative hypothesis to God. Instead, they see their study of science as worship. As pioneering astronomer Johann Kepler put it, when we study the laws underlying God's universe, we are sharing in God's thoughts. But it is also true that there have been times in the last 400 years since modern science started when Christians have resisted scientific discoveries because they thought the story of science conflicted with the story of the Bible. Let's look at the most famous instance of this conflict. What about human origins? One of the hot spots in the perceived conflict between science and Christianity is around the question of how human beings came to exist. The Bible says that God made us humans in his own image, gave us the special role of ruling over his creation, and called us to a special relationship with him, different from his relationship with any other creature. But in 1859, a British scientist named Charles Darwin published a book called On the Origin of Species, in which he argued that all living beings are related to each other, and that human beings had gradually evolved from other animals. Christians in Darwin's day disagreed about whether his scientific theory could fit with the Bible's account of creation. Some argued that the Bible describes God creating humans from the dust of the earth, but that there's no reason he couldn't have created humans gradually through an evolutionary process while still making human beings special. Others argued that evolution doesn't fit with a more literal reading of the Bible creation story, and therefore believe that God created humans suddenly and not gradually. As we saw in chapter 5, Christians disagree about how we should understand some parts of the Bible, and the creation accounts in Genesis 1 and 2 are an important example of this type of disagreement. Today, as in Darwin's day, some Christians think that you can't believe in evolution and believe that God created us, while other Christians think you can. Some argue that Christians should believe God used evolution to create humans, but that he intervened at stages in the process, so we should expect to find some elements in the story of human origins that cannot be explained by science. 
Others argue that God is in charge of the whole process, so we don't need to look for evidence of his action in the parts we can't explain, because he is directing every tiny step. It's also worth noting that while scientists have a theory to explain how more complex life forms developed from simpler ones, they really don't know how life got started in the first place. Atheist authors like Richard Dawkins tend to add in all sorts of other beliefs when they talk about science to make it sound like any time we find a possible scientific explanation of something in the natural world, this squeezes God out of the picture. But as we saw earlier in this chapter, Christians first developed science not because they didn't believe God created the world, but because they did. Just as with any other scientific field, there have always been Christians leading in this area of science. But we also shouldn't assume that everything a scientist says is true, partly because as science advances, what most scientists believe can change, like it did with the Big Bang, and partly because scientists sometimes make it sound like their science has improved what they do or don't believe about God when it hasn't. If you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you'll keep exploring and make your mind up for yourself. These questions are definitely complicated. Christian beliefs about how the Bible fits with science aren't like an on-off light switch, yes or no. They're more like the reading lights my girls have attached to their beds, which have multiple buttons you can press to get different levels of brightness and different kinds of color. But any Christian, whatever he or she believes about science, must believe that God created us, that the Bible tells us the most important truths about human beings, and that a scientific description of a human could never give us the full, the full story. This is a place where Christians and atheists most deeply disagree. What is a human being? When the brilliant physicist Stephen Hawking was 21, he was diagnosed with motor neuron disease, a terrible illness that gradually broke his body down. Hawking eventually had to use a motorized wheelchair to get around and a specially designed computer to help him speak and write. His daily life depended on computers. But in an interview toward the end of his life, he went one step further. I regard the brain as a computer, which will stop working when its components fail, Hawking said. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken-down computers. That is a fairy tale for people afraid of the dark. Hawking believed that his brain was just a computer. He did not think he was made in the image of God. He thought he was just a complex machine. In his opinion, the specially designed computer attached to his wheelchair that allowed him to speak and the brain computer in his head that allowed him to think weren't fundamentally different. When he died, he thought, it was just going to be like a computer breaking down. Many atheist scientists think this way. They believe the only real truth is truth we can measure with the tools of science. Oxford physics professor and Christian believer R. Lewis calls this way of thinking nothing buttery because people will say we're nothing but what science can describe. So has science shown that we are nothing but the things science can measure? Not at all. As we have seen already, the people who first invented modern science believed in a God who created the universe and could not be measured by God himself, or be measured by science himself. And just because we can study the physical features of a human by using scientific tools does not mean we can understand everything about humans through those tools. MIT professor Ian Hutchinson agrees that he is a complicated biochemical machine made up of atoms and molecules and all sorts of things we can investigate with the tools of science. But he says he is also a husband, a father, and a sinner saved by God's grace, and these different kinds of descriptions don't have to push each other out. They can all be true at the same time. If one of his kids said to him, you're not my father, you're just a bunch of atoms and molecules, we'd think that kid was confused. But we'd also think he was confused if he said the opposite. You're my dad, you're not atoms and molecules. If we think about it, we're used to understanding that there's more going on in any situation than science can describe. 
Imagine you were watching a football game on TV, but instead of the commentators talking about plays and scores, they were commenting on what was happening scientifically. One somewhat hairy mammal, height 6 feet 2 inches, weight 195 pounds, extends a limb at velocity 30 miles per hour. Limb collides with ball, weight 16 ounces, and ball leaves ground at velocity of 15 miles per hour, angle from the ground 30 degrees. You can imagine the commentary going on and on, with more and more scientifically measurable details. These statements could all be true, but no one would watch that TV channel because the point of football is not the scientific details, it's the game. Likewise, if someone asked me to tell them about my husband, I wouldn't give his height and weight and blood pressure. I'd tell them about his personality, his interests, and the things that make him laugh or cry. Science can tell us many useful and important things, but it can't tell us the most important truths. Science can measure how fast my heart is pumping blood around my body, but you can't use a telescope or a stethoscope to measure how much I love my husband. So what? Stephen Hawking thought that heaven was a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. If we only believe in science, as he did, we don't, we don't just lose the hope of life after death, we lose the meaning of life before death as well. I'm writing this book on a laptop computer. My one-year-old son is lying next to me, asleep. If I threw my computer out of the window, it would be a waste of money, but I could buy a replacement. If I threw my son out of the window, I would be doing something deeply and profoundly wrong. My son is not replaceable like a computer. He's a unique and precious being, made in the image of God. Science is an amazing tool. It helps us to discover useful things to make our lives better and to recognize beautiful things about our world. But if we boil everything down to what science can measure, then you and I don't matter anymore. We're just computers in a fleshy case. Believing that God created the universe isn't illogical or outdated. It's not like believing the stories Maui makes up in Moana. According to some of the top thinkers in science today, believing in the God of the Bible is the best foundation for science. It's also our best foundation for understanding what a human being is, and why you and I and my little baby Luke are infinitely valuable. Chapter 6 Summary Christians first developed modern science, not as an alternative hypothesis to a creator god, but because they believed in the God of the Bible, who is both rational and free. Scientific explanations don't squeeze God out. They give us a chance to share in God's thoughts as we understand his creation better. Christians have always been leaders in science, both in history and today. Christians have always been on both sides of debates that people think of as science versus Christianity, including the controversies about Galileo, Darwin, and the beginning of the universe. Science can tell us many amazing and important things, but it can't tell us the most important things about who we are and why we matter.